Hey, it's Kathy. I'm so excited because, drumroll please, doors are officially open to my program, The Abundance Method. I have been wanting to put this program out in the world for two and a half years. I've been working on it behind the scenes, and this is my signature program. This is the program that is going to teach you the method, the framework for how to become a master manifester in your life. Why is that? Because everything is vibration. We live in a world that is atomic. That means the world is made of atoms, which is energy. 99.9% of every atom is energy and less than 1% particle. So in order for us to manifest in our life, we need to become the highest vibe possible and to sustain that. This program is going to show you how to meditate and how to set your day on the right track so that you have a practice that can help you project your amazing energy into the world, which will bend the 3D, which will help you manifest in ways that you won't even believe. This is a transformative live 10-week program. It is designed to help you on this journey of spiritual awakening. It's going to give you tons of tools. I'm going to show you how to change your energy, master the manifestation once and for all, This is the first program of its kind. We're actually trademarking all of this framework because it is something that is so unique. And I think you're going to be so excited about learning it. Also, there are some bonuses right now. If you sign up, you're going to get an exclusive podcast so that you can be listening to this program. If you can't make the live Zoom calls, we can give it to you on a track so that you can be listening to it like you do a podcast. Also, you're going to get a pack of 10 meditations from me. And you're going to be getting a training that I just gave a workshop called Permission to be Rich, one of the best workshops I've ever done, which you will love. And there is a platinum level to this program. If you choose the platinum level, not only do you get extra coaching calls with me, you also get extra mentor support, but this is really cool. You also get a retreat included. My retreats are normally $3,000. You will get the retreat for free included. Plus, you will get a front row seat at that retreat because you will be on the platinum VIP track at the retreat. All of this is here for you. I'd love to see you in this program. I want to see you tapping in, turning on to that electricity within you so that you can find your way to the life that you were born to manifest for yourself. You can join us now at kathyheller.com slash join. I cannot wait. Get on in there. See what all the excitement is about. It's going to be so much fun. Putting yourself, throwing yourself into it, take that step forward and just kind of trust that it'll be okay. Trust the process. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning. That is what we seek that is what we truly want and you absolutely are here to serve the world and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you and every single week we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way to help you be more successful to help you be the truest expression of you my name is Kathy Heller I'm so glad that you're here let's dive in Thanks to ShipStation for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. Make them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. 
Use my offer code DREAMJOB to get a 60-day free trial. Also, thanks to HoneyBook. If you run your own business, you're used to doing it all. But if you're struggling to get through your to-do list, HoneyBook can help. Go to HoneyBook.com slash DreamJob for 50% off your first year. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. I just want to give a shout out to my friend Heidi Stevens because we had such a heart to heart and um, it really shed a lot of light on something for me. We were talking about when we're taking action and we don't know and we're scared. And I think for so many of you listening to this show, you keep listening to the podcast or maybe you want to read another book, but taking action feels scary sometimes. Posting the blog, doing the podcast, starting the Etsy thing, it feels scary. And it's because we get met with a lot of our old stuff, a lot of the healing we need to do. It starts to show up the resistance. And Heidi said something to me yesterday, which was so, so powerful. She said, when you step into action, you step out of your comfort zone She said, you're now vibing at a higher frequency and wherever you were in your comfort zone, there's now a gap between this higher frequency and where you were and whatever's in that gap is the work. And there might be some old stories you tell yourself about how you're not good enough or no one's going to care or you're going to fail or whatever it is or money. You don't want to receive money because if you do, you might have some stuff around money and what that means or who knows. And... What I realized is that anyone I know, myself for sure included, anyone I know who's successful, it's always the messy middle. There's no arriving. There's no destination. You're always still trying and testing. There's always a new place to break through, to get out of your comfort zone and do the next thing. And it's always about stepping out into action. And that's where all the clarity is. That's where the confidence lies. That's where we start to gain insight. And so when I look back at my career, like I came out to LA to be a songwriter and I took a lot of action and went all in and I got led to hosting this podcast. And I don't know where it's going to lead me from here. I think that what we seek is seeking us. And so you step into action with whatever information you have about what you want to do or about what's next. And then you just keep getting clearer and then it finds you. You you get the next idea. Like Jenna Fisher said when she was here, it's like building the engine while flying the plane. And so when I see people who are successful, I see courage. I see people who are willing to be in that unknown, messy middle where you're iterating, where you're testing, where you're trying. And Nobody really wants that place. Everybody wants to be in the known. Everybody wants the answer key, but all the answers come from, you know, you host the first meetup and then you realize, oh, I thought this was going to be about crafting, but I realized that of all the crafty things I like to do by doing this three times, I really love just beading. And now we're just going to focus on beads or I focused on, you know, moms with kids, but now three times in, I don't want to host a crafting night for moms with kids. I just want to do it for moms. And now it's all going to be about moms and self-care. Like you will learn as you go you will learn what this thing is. And so I really encourage you, if you're listening to the podcast and you get inspired, do something, do something about it. So I want to give another shout out to Alex Benayan because I reposted something he said on my Instagram yesterday. And he wrote, the hardest part about achieving a dream isn't actually achieving it. It's stepping through your fear of the unknown when you don't have a plan. Having a teacher or boss tell you what to do makes life a lot easier, but nobody achieves a dream from the comfort of certainty. 
And that's just so true. It's, it's all one big process of trying things and seeing what works. It's, it's vulnerable. It's messy. You're always in route to your destination. It's always a winding road and we have to allow ourselves to take action. Even when we don't know that's where the treasure is found. Fortune favors the brave. So here's to all the brave souls who take the next step without knowing where the journey will lead. And that's where the synchronicity comes. And as Gay Hendricks says, you show up and then you'll be led to the rest. And it's so beautiful and it's so true. I am so excited because I just did a live event last week for about 800 songwriters. And some of you may have seen, I posted a video on Instagram. If you haven't seen it, go to my Instagram because I taught everybody in the audience my song, Heart of a Hero. And there's a beautiful video clip of them all singing Heart of a Hero. And so I love live events. I think it is so powerful when we come together live. So my next live event is called the Arrive Summit. Arrive Summit 2020 will be March 22nd and 23rd at the Marriott in Beverly Hills. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be so packed with transformation and breakthroughs. We'll be talking about the four archetypes. There'll be different panels going over maker, teacher, investigator. If you want to start a podcast, if you want to start making handcrafted things, if you want to be teaching something online, there'll be experts in all those fields. I will be there doing some breakout sessions and workshopping with you. It's really lit up and it's transformative. And some of my favorite humans will be there. And I would love you to come. Right now, we have tickets for 50% off. So you you get the full two days for just $4.95 for two full days. This is awesome. You should be there March 22nd and 23rd. Go to my Instagram bio. You can click on the link. Go to the show notes. You can click the link. You guys need to be there. I'm going to be there. Uh, we already sold a big chunk of the ticket, so this will sell out. There's only room for about 200 awesome people. I would love you to be there. If you want to have an incredible life-changing experience, come my events don't disappoint. So get your ticket. Also, if you haven't yet bought Don't Keep Your Day Job, the book, get it, download it on Audible or buy a copy on Amazon or Barnes and Noble because in March I'll be doing a book club. And for anybody who buys the book, um, I will let you know about that. And you can find the link in the show notes to let us know that you want to be a part of the book club. I'll be going live every week um, online and talking about a chapter of the book and answering questions. So that'll be super fun. I can't wait. We'll be starting that in March. Okay. I'm so, so happy about today's episode. I can't even tell you. Uh, it was such a joy chatting with the comedian and actor, Kevin Nealon. You probably know him from Saturday Night Live, Weeds, Happy Madison, The Wedding Singer, Man With A Plan. He also has an awesome YouTube show, Hiking With Kevin, which I personally love. It's it's just him hiking with a celebrity guest every time, like Conan O'Brien, Lisa Kudrow, Jeff Goldblum. They have these honest, unscripted conversations out in nature. Definitely not something you would see on a talk show, just so genuine and cool. What I love about Kevin is that he dives right into anything that sparks his curiosity. He's created this whole life out of doing the things that bring him joy. He's a musician. He's also a talented artist. He likes to paint. He's so great at giving himself permission to explore his passion. And he's a lifelong student. And he gives so much because he lets himself play. So I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Without further ado, please welcome the delightful, hilarious, so, so cool, Kevin Nealon. Kevin Nealon, it is such a joy. I'm literally so smitten and anxious and excited and happy to be talking to you. So thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So 
We all have seen all the incredible things you've done and still do. In fact, I've been watching Hiking with Kevin. I've seen every episode. I love, love, love it. Always oh, watch it. Thank you. Um, we're going to get into all that, but I don't think I even know your story. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like before you were who you are in SNL and all the things? Yeah, well, basically... I come from a very loving family. I have two brothers and two sisters, and my parents were perfect. My father died two years ago. Mm. My mother's 91. And um, I always loved comedy. I loved, I loved music, play the guitar and the five-string banjo. And I always wanted to be in a band mm -hmm. or a singer-songwriter. But I found that just too intimidating to be on stage and sing. It was too personal to sing for me. And I, you know, telling jokes came much easier to me, and I seemed to have a knack for that. So I used to, you know, memorize the jokes in the back of the parade magazine. It was a section <laughs> of the newspaper when I was growing up. They had my favorite jokes mm -hmm. by, the, by the comics that were popular at the time. And I would go to parties and just kind of recite those jokes as if they were my own. Like, mm -hmm. hey, did you hear about this guy that robbed a uh, fire truck downtown? <laughs> and my friends thought I was serious. And I, they said, really? What happened? I said, well, yeah, he was, uh, he was caught two hours later by some guy who robbed a cop car. And then they go, oh, you know. And, um, so, you know, I love doing that. And some friends said, you should go to those comedy clubs like in New York. And <clears throat> so I did that. I checked those out. And they were just so intimidating, like Catch Rising Star and the Improv. And just New York in general was scary for me. And I'd never yeah. been to California. And I heard that was really kind of laid back there. And I thought maybe that's more of my speed. So eventually I kind of migrated to California and just started doing open mic nights. Mm. and developed an act in a, in a style, you know, but it's really what I always wanted to do was stand up comedy. And I, and I got a degree in marketing, you know, just to, to no way. I cannot yeah. see that at all. Oh my God. Just to kind of like please my parents and to have something to fall back on. Yeah. And I haven't fallen back on it yet. I don't know if the, <laughs> it's still good. I don't know if they expire or anything, but, um, you know, I'm so glad that I followed kind of my heart and didn't just, not that a, a job in, marketing would be bad but for me it's what I really wanted to do was to be a comedian yeah well boy did you and I'm not surprised that you said your parents you literally said your parents were perfect that's beautiful they weren't perfect but they were like the best I think parents could be yeah and I'm not surprised because you have such a sweetness about you and everybody who knows you knows that and it just it's so obvious you were given a lot of love yeah and, I, I was actually yeah and you could tell but then you come out here developing an act and then what happens how do you get discovered how does the next big break happen well, there wasn't any one really big break, I don't think, for me. You know, mine has always been a very gradual rise. It, mm -hmm. it was never like, holy moly, you know, you did The Tonight Show and you took off. Right. You know, I did do The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and, and I don't think it could have been better for me because I got to do this panel and I sat down with him after my first shot there. Mm. And it went so great. And I've never had such a natural high like that before, you know, mm -hmm. from doing a show. To this point, even after Weeds and Saturday Night Live, anything – other than that, because stand-up was really what I was my forte and my passion. And to do The Tonight Show was kind of like a validation. Yeah. So since then, it's just been a gradual rise. And I've always been working. You know, if I didn't have a TV show, I, I was doing stand-up somewhere. And I was getting better at what I was doing. And it was a constant kind of a rise. You know, if it was a graph, you'd see it go very gradually uphill. Mm -hmm. And there was no spikes or anything. But maybe when I got on SNL, there's a little bit of a spike. but A little know, bit. And, just a tiny, yeah. tiny bit. How did that happen? A lot of people ask me that, although they phrase it like this. How did you get on SNL? <laughs> <laughs> yep. So um, what happened was, basically, I, I'm friends with Dana Carvey, and I have been friends with him for a long time. Mm 
In fact, we even shared a house in the Hollywood Hills. And he got on SNL. He was perfect for that show. And I was so excited that I knew somebody that was going to be on SNL. Mm -hmm. And after he left for New York, he called me like two weeks later and he goes, hey, Kev, I'm out at Lorne Michaels' house. I'm in, the, I'm in the back bedroom. Guess who's in the kitchen? Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. I said, oh you're kidding. He goes, God. no. Anyway, Lorne Michaels, the producer, is looking for one more cast member. I told him about you. I think they're gonna, he's going to want to see your audition tapes. I said, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd are in the kitchen? Really? <laughs> I wasn't even hearing the other stuff because I knew I'd never get on that show. You know, because I didn't do sketches or accents or impressions right. or, or mm -hmm. anything. I was just a stand-up. So I sent my tapes in, you know, because what did I have to lose? And then two weeks later, I got another call from Dan. He goes, Kev, I'm back out of Lauren Michaels' house. Guess who's in the kitchen? Steve Martin. I said, you're no. kidding. He goes, no. He goes, anyway, Lauren, like your tapes, I think they're going to fly you in for an audition. I said, Steve Martin's in the kitchen? Really? <laughs> See, I, I couldn't even, like, believe it, that I would even be, you know, considered on that show. Yeah. But, I, but I went there anyway because, you know. Uh, what would it hurt to show up? It was a free trip to New York for me at the most, you know? So I go yep. there and I, I go to 30 Rockefeller Plaza. I go up to Studio 8H. I've never been there before. I walk in there and I did my little audition in front of Lauren and some of the um, remaining cast members from the previous year, like Dana Carvey and Nora Dunn and A. Whitney Brown, Dennis Miller and Lauren and some of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I left and I thought that would be it, you know? And then two weeks later, I find myself sitting in a high rise in Beverly Hills, sitting across from Lauren Michaels. And he's offering me a job on SNL. Oh, my God. And I said, um, thank you very much, Mr. Michaels. Let me think about it over the weekend. That's the way I roll, baby. That's the way I negotiate. <laughs> oh, my God. Smooth operator. Yeah. Right? And he kind of <laughs> saw right through me. He goes, well, you think about it over the weekend, and we'll see you in New York on Monday. <laughs> so, you know, the next thing I know, I'm out at Laura Michaels' house. And I get a call from Dana Carvey. He goes, Kevin, back out at Laura Michaels' house in the back bedroom. Guess who's in the kitchen? I said, I'm in the kitchen now, tough guy. I'm in the kitchen. Because <laughs> I showed up, you know? Yeah, that's so awesome. Wow. And how soon into that process did you know you were going to do the weekend update? Oh, that didn't come for a while. That was like um, five years later. But, you know, the actual show happened so quickly for me. Like, I mean, I didn't even have time to tell friends. I was like, within three days, I was in New York. That's yeah, crazy. I was prepping for the show. We were shooting the intros and... Uh, and I was kind of like just trying to, you know, understand it all and trying to adjust and figure out, you know, my way. Yeah. Well, you were so, so good on that show. And, you know, it's one thing for your friend uh, to be like, oh, I want to, you know, try to help you here. But Lauren's not doing anyone any favors. He's not wasting anyone's time. So obviously, yes, you know, Dana was like being super sweet to like, you know, throw your hat in the ring, but you crushed it. You just went for it and look where it took you. I think maybe Lauren was looking more for chemistry for their show instead of like individual performances. You know, mm -hmm. he wanted a cast that could really mesh with each other. And we just happened to be, because the year before there were some great actors on there, like Robert Downey Jr. and Anthony Michael Hall, all those people. I don't think they had the synergy with the writers and with the cast itself. And, and all that kind of came together on the year I was there. And it just kind of took off. It is really like the Harvard of anything in TV. It is so intense. It's so difficult. And I've just heard people talking about what it's like to get your ideas on and to be not only on the show, but to be as successful as you were on the show is a huge, like you're playing with the best of the best of the best. So what was that like for you? What was that process like for you being in the writer's room, pitching ideas, eventually getting to be anchor weekend update? Like what was that whole experience like? It was an incredible experience. It really was incredible. I, you know, at the time I knew it was a, it was big 
And I remember meeting the writers and so much of the original show from 75, you know, with Bill Murray and, you Mm -hmm. know, and Belushi and all those people, there was still kind of like that energy and that vibe still left in the building because some of the writers from the original show were still there, like Jim Downey, the head writer. Wow. Wow. And Andy Breckman and Lauren, of course, and also the staff, you know, that some of the producers and stuff all were part of that original cast. So it was really kind of um, an honor to kind of be part of that. But also, like I said, the cast before us, um, the ratings were really low the year before us. And I Mm -hmm. think they almost canceled the show. Oh, my God. And that was Lauren's first year back. And so when we came on, we were living out of our suitcase week to week because we didn't know if the show was going to get canceled or not. So that coupled with the excitement of being on the show itself was mind boggling. It's funny what you do to kind of calm your nerves sometimes. Like for that show, I just kind of convinced myself that nobody was watching it anymore. So don't be nervous, you know, (laughs) you know, the small studio audience, that's all that was watching it. Yeah. And I remember the first sketch I ever did on there was a Mr. Subliminal. So it's kind of like a tongue tongue twister. You're doing like two conversations at once. Why did I pick such a you know, convoluted and complicated <laughs> sketch to be in for my first one. And I remember Lauren coming up to me right before you know, I'm getting ready to go on. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, are you sure this is what you want? Oh my God. <laughs> that was his sense of humor, you know? <laughs> oh my God. Wow. You're, yeah, that was one of the best, best of the best sketches. So good. When people are listening right now, I feel like they are just thinking like you're like an Olympian because it seems so impossible to do that show and to have led this career life that you've been living. And you were just so generous in saying that sometimes you also would get anxious. I can't imagine that you wouldn't, right? It's a lot of pressure. But for people who are listening who struggle with like, I could never even audition. Who am I to do this? I would be afraid even just to go up and do a a set at the improv or whatever. What's your advice for getting over that feeling of imposter syndrome that people sometimes carry so heavily? For me, it was just confronting it and just putting yourself, throwing yourself into it and knowing this is what you want to do and if you know and if you really want to do it you have to take that step forward and just kind of trust that it'll be okay trust the process i mean i remember doing the tonight show for the first time which was much more intimidating than than doing snl Mm -hmm. i had cotton mouth you know i I forgot my act walking out to the spot i couldn't remember my act and i had been doing my act in my head over and over and over and i just blanked out and Luckily, by the time the last hands stopped clapping in the audience, it came back to me. But I was so nervous as I was smiling, uh, as I was doing my act, my lips were sticking to my gums, yeah. my hot mouth, you know. Yeah. And so I think afterwards, I was so relieved and I was so happy and so proud of myself for, you know, pushing my, not even pushing myself, but just giving myself that opportunity. Yes. And following through on it and not being afraid. Even though I was afraid, I still did it, you know. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And people say all the time, you know, it's not the goal, it's who we get to become and and chasing the goal. And I love how you just said that, that you gave yourself that opportunity that you pushed yourself, because that's really probably the most satisfying part of, of your career, in a sense, is that you continue to push yourself to create the next thing and to show up for whatever it is that you're, whatever there, you go, I'm doing it. And then you grow from that as a person. It really is true. I mean, you know, uh, and I will also say to couple that for a while after that, you know, when I started trying everything, I sort of became numb to fear. 
I, I started becoming dead inside because nothing frightened me anymore because I put myself out there at the things that scared me. Yeah. And then I, one morning I thought to myself, I need to do something else that scares me that I've been avoiding. Mm-hmm. And um, because I, I was, I think I turned, I don't know, 50 or something. And I said, I'm going to do things that scare me. And what are they? And one of them was the Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. And the other one was Bill Maher, Real Time. Mm-hmm. And I avoided both of those shows because the material on Real Time frightened me because I wasn't a political pundit. Yeah. And then the Stern show I avoided because, you know, all on SNL, he would make fun of everybody. And, you know, and it always, anytime he started going into the field of SNL, I would turn it off, yep. you know. But his interviewing techniques changed. And I think his persona and his attitude changed over the years. I think mm-hmm. as he got more comfortable and more successful. Yeah. And his interviews became really good. And so I threw myself into that. And after doing like the Stern show for the first time, I, it was the same kind of feeling I had after doing the Tonight Show. You know, I confronted my fears and it turned out to be fantastic. And I had a great time and I've done it like four times or something yeah. since then. Yeah. And the same with the Bill Maher show. I went on there and I kind of boned up on the topics of the day and, and I had a really good time. I did that several times too. And I was really proud of myself for just you know, putting myself in that situation and not just sitting back and letting time go by and yeah. just kind of sitting with my fears. Mm, it's so good. I was reading an article and I'm sure everybody's heard this, that the the number one regret of the dying is that they, they didn't do the things that they really wanted to do. They sat it out. They overthought it. They were afraid. They didn't live life on their terms because they were afraid. And it just seems to me like that's one of the richest things that you could hold in your heart is that feeling of if it scares me I'm doing it anyway and so many people listening they they allow rejection uh to just break them and you you've been able to just continue on and on and on and how in the beginning were you dealing with that rejection I'm sure every single night it wasn't like every person in the crowd you know was giving you a standing ovation although maybe they were I don't know who am I to say that well, for me, I was so prepared for rejection. I was almost disappointed or I was kind of like confused that there wasn't more rejection for me. Maybe, maybe I just didn't you know, recognize the rejection. I, was, I knew it was going to be a process and I knew I wouldn't be an overnight success. So, you know, I was kind of ready for that. Right. You know, the, the thing I was going to say too, Kathy, is I, I'm just grateful that I have a passion. And I always say this to people that, you know, to parents that, you know, if your child has a passion, that's like 80% of the battle right there. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a passion, then you can pursue that passion and you don't mind working hard at it. And if you do make it your job, it's like, you don't mind going to work. You don't mind mm, uh, working that. hard. And yeah. it's just, just amazing. And I feel bad for people that don't have a passion. Yeah. Yeah. Or they don't know what it is yet. You know? Yeah, it's true. When you when you love something, then you're willing to put in the the enthusiasm and the hustle and the juice. You get that juice because you're you're so passionate about it and you love the process. But so often, you know, you were saying that your your career was like this slow uphill climb, and clearly it's been so successful by every single standard. But I I it's I appreciate hearing from your perspective that for you it was just like kind of slow and steady. It wasn't sort of this big jump. And I know a lot of people um, they're constantly comparing their career to other people and that breaks them that they're not oh, in that yeah. moment, you know, and how did you not let that get in your way? You're so right. I mean, that is the big downfall. That's the big downfall in this business, particularly is people are comparing a timeline, you know, and that was especially hard for me when I'd go into the, when I first started, I 
you know, in the comedy clubs, I'd go on and I'd do my set. And then somebody like Jay Leno would come on and he would, and I'd watch him just destroy it. I'd see his act and his material. I think, Oh my God, I'll never be like that. Or Robin Williams, you know, I'd watch him go on. I go, I cannot possibly even compare ever to that. And I was comparing myself and you can't do that. And I found out, I realized that there's plenty of room for everybody. You know, those people can't be everywhere at the same time. Yeah, it's so true. I was a huge Brody Stevens fan and I knew he loved you very much. And uh, I was at, I'm friends with a couple uh, writer comedians. So I was at his like memorial and I was, I was hysterically crying when he died. I felt like I knew him because I loved him so much. And a lot of his friends who are mutual friends of mine said he was constantly comparing himself to other people. And it's like, God, you were such a star, like so special, so special. It just hurts me to think that people would do that to themselves, to to constantly compare themselves. And I know people do that. Everybody does that. People on my street do that on Instagram now all the time. So I love that you just sort of spoke to that. I think it's really important. I'm just yeah. I think a lot of a lot of comics are very critical of themselves too. You know, they're very uh, judgmental and they're critical. And and um, and with Brody, I mean, I never really saw that with him except for one evening maybe a couple months before, you know, he left us something, he had said something to me in the back of the comedy store. I can't even remember what it was about, but I remember how he shut down really quick. Mm. He said something and it was really curious to me because I'd never seen him like that before. Yeah. And I remember it stuck with me for a while mm-hmm. and it kind of came back to me after, um, you know, but you know, you were talking about overnight success and stuff. It's like, you know, I, I'm friends with Tiffany Haddish. And everybody thinks she was an overnight success, but she was like, she's been working at it for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People think it's overnight. It's really more like 10 years, you know, or or more. At least. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What do you think for people who want to be a comic, who want to be writing comedy? Like, what have you found that makes it great? Well, I think it all boils down to originality and being unique because when I started doing stand-up, there was a lot of comics, you know, but it was still a novelty thing. Most people had, had never been to a comedy club, you know, the audience. Yeah. So, you know, I tell comics, younger comics, they ask me that question, you know, what's your advice? And, you know, I can't give them advice on, on how to write or anything, but I, I could just say, be original and unique. You know, you have to stand out from the this huge pack of people that are out there yeah. doing stand-up. Yeah. Uh, if you really want to have any kind of long career you know yeah I think a lot of people I think a lot of people feel like there's no room for me because everything's so saturated and so people will use that as their big excuse not to try because there's no room do you think that there's room if there's a new comic someone shows up at the improv and does a great job do you feel like there's still room for people to break in and oh yeah yeah there's always room there's always room especially now with so many platforms out there you know and so many comedy clubs I mean you know you take somebody like Sebastian. Oh, so good. You know, he's unique. He's different. You don't see anybody else like him out there, really. And people love it. You know, he sells out these huge stadiums or theaters or whatever mm-hmm. now. And I remember when he was just doing the Laugh Factory with in front of 10 people. Yeah. Nobody stuck to it. And the same with Bill Burr. You know, he stuck to it. Mm. Anybody who's kind of like different, a little bit, Tignataro. You know, but that's not to say that you can not be that unique and still have a good career. I mean, you could have good material. You could have good airline jokes and still make people happy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So good. I want to move on to what you're doing now because 
You're doing this YouTube show, Hiking with Kevin, and I've, I've seen every episode. I just love it. I've been watching it since you started. It's such a refreshing piece of content, and I want my audience to hear about it. I feel like podcasters are definitely the type that would watch a show like that because it's kind of like a podcast. It's kind of like a video podcast. Tell us why you started Hiking with Kevin. Well, this is something that really kind of you know, was organic. I'm not like a big hiker. You know, I don't have a camel pack or whatever they call it, with water in the back. And <laughs> yeah. I didn't know any hiking shoes. I just had sneakers. But there's a lot of canyons in Los Angeles, especially near my house. Mm-hmm. And I love to, uh, for me, it was a form of meditation. I love to hike. You know, I would go out with it. When I was on weeds, I'd bring my script with me mm. in the morning. And I would go hiking with my script. And I would just learn my lines. and Or I would just go hike and try to figure out, you know, solve my problems in life or, mm-hmm. or think of material. And so one day I called Matthew Modine, the actor, from mm-hmm. and I said, Matt, you want to go for a hike? And he said, sure. So we're hiking in this canyon near my house, and um, we were both so out of breath, you know, the top. It was a pretty challenging trail. And I, I kind of I thought this would be kind of funny video clip if I videotaped me interviewing him, and you couldn't understand what we're saying because we're so out <laughs> yeah. of breath. Yeah. And, and on the way down, I asked him some more serious questions. Like, I said, Matt, did you ever regret turning down any roles in your career? And he rolled his eyes. He goes, oh, man, after Full Metal Jacket, I turned down so many roles. I turned down Back to the Future, the Michael J. Fox role. Oh I turned God. down Tom Hanks' role in Big. Oh, my God. Sheen in Wall Street and the Tom Cruise role in Top Gun. Wow. And I, and, he, uh, I, and I said, you idiot. And he laughed and I laughed and I posted that on Instagram. Yeah. So what I did was I started posting just little interstitials on Instagram and on Twitter, you know, one and two minute stuff. And I make them like three or four parts and people liked it. And so every week I started hiking with a different friend and I posted on Instagram. And then, like I said, I did the Howard Stern show and I found that Howard was a big fan of the post that I was doing because you should do longer ones, you know, like on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of struck a chord with me. So I went and I investigated YouTube and um, I started my YouTube channel and I started making them longer. And then I started getting better equipment and I yep. learned how to work a drone. Evo Gimbal sent me a nice uh, carbon graphite selfie stick, which was light with a, a GoPro on the end and an external mic. So I never had the wind sound anymore and it wasn't shaky. Wow. And then, yeah, I learned how to fly a drone. So I got aerial shots and then I started setting up like a little tripod with my cell phone camera. It's and got so fun. It is fun, but you know what? It is a lot of work, not just the hike. I mean, the hike is the easy thing. It's the editing it because uh, yeah. the editing really takes me all week to do that because I have to put like teasers up on my Instagram and then uh, a preview and then I send out you know, assets to the publicists and things. And so I had to learn how to do all that. I had to learn how to edit. I had to learn how to wow. work the drone and I had to learn how to uh, you know, do the GoPro stuff. And, mm-hmm. and it was a nice challenge, but I'm trying to teach my son how to work the drone so he could come with me and do that. Although yeah. he did come with me. I did Donny Osmond in uh, Sundance in the yep. snow. We were snowshoeing. And my son was actually in the woods with my um, camera getting the B-roll. And That's it was really awesome. funny because he caught all of us falling and stuff. So that was fun. That's awesome. So this is just amazing. But before we keep going, let's just thank our sponsors. When you think about your dream business, are you dreaming about all the admin tasks like drafting proposals and contracts or tracking down payments? Probably not. That's why you need HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. With HoneyBook, you can automate your busy work with their easy-to-use templates for emails, proposals, brochures, and invoices. Simplify your to-do list and stay in control with HoneyBook. I love that they make it easy to incorporate some of the services that my team already uses like Google Suite and Excel. We have a ton of moving pieces always going on in our business, so it's really convenient to have these tasks already taken care of. If you're a freelancer or entrepreneur, this is something that can really help you out. 
about. And right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off when you visit HoneyBook.com slash DreamJob. Payment is flexible and the promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. Go to HoneyBook.com slash DreamJob for 50% off your first year. That's HoneyBook.com slash DreamJob. I know a lot of you sell your creations online, whether it's your handmade dolls or art prints or journals, and getting orders out can be a real pain sometimes. There's a lot to track. You don't know which carrier to use, whether you're getting the best rates. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. Just a few clicks and you can manage your orders, print out labels, and get your product out fast to keep your customers happy. A lot of times I'll see posts in our Facebook group about how to deal with selling on different platforms like Amazon, Etsy, or your own website. No matter where you're selling, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. I also love that ShipStation even works with all of the major carriers like USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. And right now, Don't Keep Your Day Job listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code DREAMJOB. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in dream job that's shipstation.com then enter offer code dream job what i love about hiking with kevin i really just feel the sincerity of you and it's i've never seen anyone interview that well i'm, I'm serious it's um thank you you create a atmosphere for your guests where this is how i want to say it i've never seen the guests be that comfortable on any interview that's what i'm trying to say yeah. Right. Well, well, thank you for that. But first of all, I, I don't think it's all me. I think it's the setting. I think, and I've thought about this a lot. I think they're not in a studio. I'm not looking at them that much. We're looking right. at the trail. There's no audience and they're outdoors and there's endorphins. And I think it really takes down that wall from people. And, and even like before this, I, you know, I'd be hiking on the trail and I'm sure you've experiences too and you hear people passing you like people talking to each other yeah. and the conversations are so revealing. And, um, yeah. you know, I mean, I think there's something about being outdoors and in the woods that people just, you know, are really kind of, you know, not holding back. Yeah. They kind of drop into this more authentic place. I see that. But it's also your style um, and it's you. You're very relaxed. That's kind of how you are. And, and you're not you're not asking them the, the standard questions. You know, you're not asking them, what are they promoting right, right now? You're, you're talking yeah. to them like a person. Like we're on a hike. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was just such a great idea and you guys should go check it out. So tell us about, tell us about Man With A Plan. This is the fourth season coming up, right? Yeah. Fourth season's airing in April, April 2nd. And this is a show that, you know, the crazy thing about this was I was um, on vacation with another couple in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah. And we were having breakfast and my friend is an actress mm -hmm. and she announced to the table that she has a chemistry read with Matt LeBlanc hmm. for a show called Man With A Plan. Mm -hmm. And we were all excited for her. And I said, I'd love to read that script. You know, I'd love to read the script. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, sure, no problem. So I, I read the script and I thought it was really good. I said, this is a great script. Man, good luck with that. I hope you get it. And she ultimately didn't get it, but I get home from that vacation like a week or so later. My agent calls. He goes, um, you have a chemistry read if you want with Matt LeBlanc for this show called Man with a Plan. I said, are you kidding me? So weird. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah. So I go in and I do the chemistry read. 
And uh, I, I came straight from the dentist. And so half of my face was numb from Novocaine. No way. Yeah. No yeah. Way. So, oh, my God. So I'm just because <laughs> the cavity was bigger than they thought. They'd give me more Novocaine. And I remember being back on the dentist chair, looking at the clock and seeing that, man, I got to leave. And I've never rushed the oh dentist before. Oh, my you know? God. But I'm saying, I, I have this meeting over in the valley. If you could just wrap this up, I'd really appreciate it. And so I got there just in time, and I was slapping my face the whole way, trying to oh, you know, my get God. rid of a numb. So Matt LeBlanc comes in. I've never met him before. You know, it's Joey Tribbiani to me. Yeah. He comes in, and and uh, he goes, hey, you want to run this thing? I say, yeah, sure. And so we run it, and my mouth is kind of numb. And I, you know, my tongue is kind of heavy. And, and I didn't say anything to him about it. And then he told me later, he said, I went back to the producers after that, and he, they said, how is he? He goes, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. His timing is good, but I think he might have had a stroke or something. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. You, I, you have so many opportunities, I'm sure. What is it about this show that you said, I'll, I'll do it? Because I'm sure there's a million things you could be doing. Well, I like, like I said, I like the script. I like that it was well written. I like Matt LeBlanc. I think is, you know, he's got a great track record, and I really admire and respect his acting. Mm -hmm. And it was in town. It was a multi-camera show, which is a great schedule. Yeah. You know, with, if you have a family, and so I wasn't having, you know, out on the road, being on the road all the yeah. time. Yeah. And the money was good, so it was a win-win situation for me, and I loved doing it. And it was just, it was a great opportunity. And I do get a lot of opportunities, but I mean, it's not like crazy a lot of opportunities, you know, like once in a while they'll come around or I'll be on the road working for a year or whatever and something will come up, but it's hard. It's really hard to land on a good show because, yeah. you know, there's not that many out there. Yeah. And that is so ideal because you, like you said, you have a family and it's such a gift and it's such a great show and you guys do have such good chemistry together. And speaking of chemistry, I know my audience is going to be like, how can you not ask him? Please ask him all the Adam Sandler movies. It just looks like you guys are having the best time. Can you just tell us what it's like doing those movies? Well, it is true. It is a good time. It's, you know, I've known Sandler since Saturday Night Live. You know, so we've, we've been, been friends since then. And Sandler has always been, you know, he's got this thing about him that's, I don't know if it's loyalty or he just feels comfortable working with the same people a lot. Even though lately he's kind of branched out and he's working with other people and doing other people's projects, which I think is great. But, you know, being on the set with him, it's really a vacation. I mean, we went to South Africa to shoot Blended oh, you know, wow. a couple of years ago. Yeah. And that was like, I mean, that's something I'll never forget. We lived in some city for like two months. So many great experiences. We went on safari and just even being on the set and shooting is, is fun and it's exciting. And he's so loose and he lets you embellish and, you know, improvise. And it really was a great, great experience. Mm. I love that you say it's like a vacation and it is so true. There must be some loyalty because there's like a core group of you that he puts in, in all, all those movies and he's doing some amazing stuff now, but I know that people are like, you can't touch, you know, wedding singer, happy Gilmore. Like there's certain movies like they're just untouchable and uh, it just looks like such a pleasure. And it seems like you guys offset are also really good friends. All of you, is there like a group of you that like supports each other, hangs out all the time, that kind of thing. Well, I think, you know, once you've been on SNL with um, these people, even with the hosts, it becomes like a lifelong club. It's kind of an exclusive club. Yeah. That, and yeah. you all, it's almost like you've gone through battle together. Yeah, totally. It, yeah. I mean, you can, never, you can never compare it to like the uh, 101st Airborne, you know, where these guys are or the Tuskegee Airmen, because those, those people are heroes. But to go through a show like <laughs> SNL where there's yeah. 
there's so much pressure and, and, and stress on you and, and you get through it, you really kind of form this bond that is, is forever, I think. And even with the host, I mean, I run into like Sigourney Weaver, who was the first host on the show I did. It's like we're like we're family still. Like this is like 25, you know, I don't know, 40 years ago. Yeah, I could I see that because even those celebrities, when they even if they're big deal, whatever cover of magazines, when they come on that show, they're probably scared. And so they they're look terrified. at the cast like, oh, my God, please save me. Please help me. Because <laughs> there's not it's like an Olympic race. Like it's the hardest thing they've ever had to do. So I could see that they would bond with you guys in the biggest way. That's so really, true. So yeah. true. Yeah. 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 So the other thing that people maybe don't know about you is you have like 17 other talents. You're doing all these like sketches and doodles and they're so good. How do you make time for all these things? And what is it about that passion that um, you love so much that you're, you're willing to dedicate time to it? Yeah, I have my Instagram, which is Kevin Nealon. And then I have my, my artwork. It's Kevin Nealon artwork. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've always loved doodling. In fact, you know, when I was a kid, I used to just, you know, I saw a picture somebody drew of a, a soldier. I used to live in Germany when I was a kid because my father worked for a helicopter company. So we spent mm-hmm. a lot of time on army bases. And um, some soldier had drew a, a caricature on a, a napkin or a cartoon of like a sad sack. And I, I copied that. And since then, I loved drawing. And I remember even being on SNL at their table read, you know, when we had read through all the sketches that people had written on Wednesday. Sometimes it's really boring, you know, and, and, and it'd be long <laughs> and tedious, you know, yeah. some sketches. So on my, uh, on the sketches, I would like, I'd be sitting across from Chris Farley or Phil Hartman or anybody and yeah. I just draw their picture. And so I have like, you know, I have notebooks full of like caricatures of Al Franken. Oh my God. Farley and Dana and, you know, all these people. And then, and then I started, you know, drawing more and more and I go through phases, you know, I would draw and then I'd stop drawing. But in the last decade, you know, I, I would start drawing people on airplanes when I was flying, mm-hmm. you know, people sitting next to me sleeping because they were a good a subject because <laughs> they wouldn't move, they were sound asleep. <laughs> and then I would like, I started doing those on napkins and then I started doing them on my sketchbook. And then last summer I saw this guy was giving lessons. I started following some of these artists that were really good caricature artists and they were drawing on um, digital tablets. And yeah. it looked like um, oil paintings because you can yeah. get the effect and everything. And I thought, wow, that's what I really want to do. And I'm tired of just kind of like not getting better at this. I want to, how can I get better? So I contacted the guy and I started Skyping with him over the summer. And I took maybe, I don't know, 12 lessons with him once a week. And he would critique my work. And I learned so much about it. And then since then, I've met other artists. In fact, I just got back from Chicago where I hung out with this artist, Jason Seller, who's really good. Wow. And uh, he showed me some stuff. And so I'm getting really good at it. And I just love doing it. It's my passion now, really. It's amazing. And they're so beautiful. They're so good. And, and I just feel sort of like a little bit in awe of how you're so filled with wonder and curiosity and passion that it's like this never ending well of like interest in building things, making things, creating things. Where does that come from? Is that just you, you or did you see that? Or were your parents like that? Did, did they like instill in you any of that? Yeah, my parents were great. My parents were very supportive, never pushed me to do anything. Gave, gave us so many opportunities. Like I said, we lived in Europe. So that was very rare back then to, you know, to live in Europe as an American. And so you know, I learned how to swim in Greece. I learned how to ski in the Alps. And really a, an incredible foundation for me where I had all these opportunities. 
but they were very supportive, you know, and, and uh, always encouraging. And I just had a lot of interest. For me, it was just, I just had a lot of interest, you know, and I'm still like, even to this day, like, you know, I play the guitar and I play the five-string banjo and I'm, I've kind of gotten pretty good at that. Not really good, but, you know, good enough to entertain myself. Yeah. And now I'm taking um, piano lessons. I've been taking piano lessons oh for the last God. couple of years. And I like that. But you know what it all boils down to, Kathy? It's just, what? I think it's time management. It's just kind of finding a balance where you can spend time with your family mm-hmm. and you could do the things you enjoy and then also work. And just, that's the hard thing right there. It's finding that balance. Yeah. And then rest and also doing nothing. And that's mm-hmm. the hardest part. It's just doing sitting nothing. there. Yep. I'm a real good meditator, but I'm too busy to meditate. Yep. That's why I go on the hikes, you know? Yeah. I, I heard Larry David, he like popped into Largo and he was like, why are, why are all these marathons? Like, you know, people try to raise money, walk a thon, have a sitting. Can I just sit? Can I just like have, have a rest? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. <funny. laughs> um, last thing I want to ask you, cause it's something that my audience struggles with a lot is not knowing which thing to choose and listening to you talk about all these things that you literally love what would be your sort of feedback if somebody's saying like, I have 13 interests and I just don't know which one to pick. So I kind of don't choose, or I don't know which one would actually be a career. What do you say about all that? Well, first of all, I think they're lucky to have that many options. Yeah. You know, some people have no options. Yeah. That's so I, I think they really can't go wrong. I mean, you, you know, you try one, that interests you the most at the time and see how that goes. But I think as long as you, and I tell people this to this day, I say, if I never even made it as a comic, I would still be happy getting in line and doing open mic nights, mm. you know, because there's that excitement and that hope. As long as you like enjoy it, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't, I mean, I would, I would work and I have worked in a factory, but I was also doing the things I loved. Like I worked in a helicopter factory when I got out of college to pay off my school loans. Yeah. And I always wanted to play football. And I realized that I could take a night course at Fairfield University in Connecticut and take one class, three credits, and that would qualify me to play on their football team. Mm-hmm. So I did that. I took a course in criminology. Of course you did. And yes, you did. The starting quarterback got hurt and I became the starting quarterback. Oh and it was like my God. fantasy. That's crazy. And I, I loved it. Yeah. That's, so cr- that's awesome. And I, I love that you, you're just one of those people, you have so much gratitude. There's just like this, I'm happy to be here. Like, I'm just happy to be here. It's good. Whatever I, it is, it's I good. Am. That's very unique. I wish we could bottle that up and, and give it to people to drink. And I think there are people who they're going to bang down the door, but they're maybe not meant to be a stand up. Like it's, they're not as good as they think they are maybe, but maybe there's something else. And so I wonder what you think, because along the way, I'm sure you've seen people who get really discouraged and yet there's probably something else in them where they're really meant to be. And when do we know when it's time to say like, I can't keep hitting my head against the wall. This door is not meant to open. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a- Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I see that all the time. You know, I see people that are hanging in there and because it's really misleading in this business because- you know, things can change overnight. You know, right. all it takes is one thing. And that's what people are thinking. It's tough. It's really tough. And I've seen that a lot where people do finally let go of their dream and they go on to do something else and they become very happy. So, yeah. you know, and you can always come back to your dream too. You don't have to, um, you know, it's not closing the door permanently. Yeah. You know, and I could also, you know, really give my parents a lot of um, props because I remember being out here in LA for 
I don't know, I was out here for maybe two months and I had enough money to get home back to Connecticut with gas for gas money or I had enough money for my uh, a deposit on an apartment rent. Yeah. Yeah. And I called my parents because I was Aww. homesick, you know, I was homesick. And I called from a payphone on Beverly Boulevard in Van Ness. And, uh, and I remember this to this day. I think it was the last time I used the payphone. But I called my, <laughs> my parents and I said, I really don't know what to do. I'm, I have enough money to get home and gas or, or rent. And um, my father got on the phone and he goes, Kev, you're a big boy. You went out there to do stand-up. Give it a chance. Give it a shot. And I know he wanted me to come home. Oh my God. Because he missed me, but because he was such a good father and had so much love for me, he knew this is what I wanted and he wanted me to give it a, a good chance. I love him. I love that call. And I love that you just shared that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you yeah, for all I mean, of this. Yeah, so good. Thank you. Tell us where we, where do you want to send us? People could check out my hikes on hashtag hiking with Kevin or youtube.com forward slash Kevin Neal comedy. Or they go to my website, kevinnealan.com, to see my um, tour. I have a new tour. The working title right now is Silent But Deadly, unless <laughs> I come up with something better. Yep. And then Man With a Plan uh, premieres April 2nd on CBS. You are an absolute delight. Thank you for being Thank here. Thank you, Kat. It was nice talking to you. How awesome is he? Okay, here are the takeaways. Number one, throw yourself into it. Take that step forward. Trust the process. Number two, do things that scare you. Confronting your fears can actually feel fantastic. Number three, when you make your passion your job, you don't feel like you're going to work. You'll be willing to do the hard stuff. Number four, there's plenty of room for everyone. Number five, spend time with people you love. Do things you enjoy. Do the work and do nothing. Number six, you can always come back to the dream. You're not closing the door permanently. And number seven, give it a chance. I love you guys. I am so aware that you have a million things you could be doing with your time. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Please make sure you subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen, because there's some amazing episodes coming up truly, truly. And I don't want you to miss anything. If you love this episode or any episode, share it with a friend, tell them how this has shifted the way you think or changed the possibilities you see. Let's light up more souls. Let's keep building this movement and helping people take those steps forward. Remember, there's an early bird discount right now. You can get 50% off the tickets to my Arrive Summit where you will step into that place where you arrive at that next level. You arrive doing the things that you want to do. You arrive at your own door. You come home to yourself. Come spend two days with me. Tickets are right now 50% off. We have this early bird thing going on for the next week and a half. Go get your tickets. You can find the link in the show notes. You can find the link in my Instagram bio. Grab your tickets March 22nd and 23rd. It's going to be amazing. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. So many times I chose to run. So many times I held my tongue. I held my tongue. Never saying what I needed to.
heart of a hero.